1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? Do you remember the future? You've got to come back with me. Where? Are we back? We're back. What do you mean we're in the future? October 21st, 2015. Marty, we're going to be able to see our wedding. Wow. The future. I got to check this out, Doc. Look what happened oh. to your son. <laughs> oh, he's a complete wimp. Don't talk to anyone. You've been looking, Bob! Hey, look! Don't touch anything. I need to blow your hoverboard. Come on, come on, come on! And try not to look at anything. I didn't invent the time machine to win at gambling. I can't lose. I invented a time machine to travel through time. Hey, Doc, I'm all for that. What's wrong with making a few bucks on the side? No. The time continuum has been disrupted, creating an alternate 1985. There have been a few changes. It's like we're in hell or something. No, it's Hill Valley, although I can't imagine hell being much worse. But they'll all be back. Eat left, slackers! Biff? Hello? Hello, anybody home? Why they can't be you? You're so big. Michael J. Fox. Christopher Lloyd. Michael J. Fox. More like a couple of teenagers, you know? And Michael J. Fox. Mom, is that you? Steven Spielberg presents a Robert Zemeckis film, Back to the Future, Part 2. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours, the movie review program. I'm Paul Spitaro, and I am once again joined by my buddy, J. David Weeder. Are you telling me you made a podcast out of Visit Jaws? <laughs> you, 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 you're not familiar with this one? 
No. <laughs> Actually, inspired. Here, I don't think. Inspired by the episode that we just did, just posted the uh, Blaine Dowler and Trey Hooks. I'm adding a new category uh, to the Is It Yours scale, and uh, it won't. It will not apply in this one. But when we do bad movie, I'm adding a Jaws five movies that are so funny, so bad that they're fun to watch because. Of yeah. The okay. So like the, the room would end up in that. <laughs> I never saw that one, but prob- possibly, yes. <laughs> Troll 2. These are classics, by the way. Yeah, you know, but, you know, because there is an element of, yeah, I know objectively that this is a bad movie, but I love watching it because I laugh when watching it. It's either unintentionally or intentionally, you know, comical. So I'm going to want to add that category in, but I'm, I'm not changing the opening where we do, where the categories are described. Excuse me, and I'm not going to bring it up every episode because most movies aren't. But when I have one that I think runs the risk of being rated, let the There you go. Anyway, today we are taking care of one of the many, many irons in the fire that we actually have. Because we are in the process of, well, with Holly, we're doing the Harry Potters. We're doing the Jurassic Park series. We're doing the Universal Monsters series. And we're doing Back to the Future. So we have four irons in a fire, unless I'm forgetting another one. Not that I can think of. <laughs> I think I think these are enough. Okay, yeah, this this could keep us for several years, actually, <laughs> considering we're not doing it every single time. Uh, but today we're looking at Back to the Future 2 from 1989, and you are effectively the Back to the Future guy. So I'm going to come right out before I start giving any kind of details about I saw this one in the theater because I was actually old enough to go to the theater. Uh, it wasn't opening weekend, but shortly thereafter. It got dropped off, watched it, loved it. Okay. Uh, yeah. I was, you know, as is true for every movie discuss, I was older than you, <laughs> considering I just am older than you. Uh, when this opened, I was older than you, and I saw it with one of my buddies. And I do remember, I really enjoyed it, but my buddy did not appreciate the cliffhanger ending. He wanted a comp- There were, there were, I remember people getting upset in the theater because they did not realize that there would be a cliffhanger. I, I Honestly, I did not. I did not anticipate there being a cliffhanger, but it didn't bother me. I, I saw, you know, they, 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 the film ends with the coming attraction for Back to the Future. Th- mm-hmm. And I knew, okay, when that comes out, I'm going to go see it. <laughs> you know, and I'm, and I'm looking forward to it. But we will talk more about that movie in another show. For now, Back to the Two, and that is, I guess, potentially the criticism is that this movie very, very clearly assumes you've already seen Back to the Future, and it assumes you're going to see back to this is not a, although it is this story. So we don't have any character. Two parts played by new actor. Jennifer is now played by Elizabeth Shue. And George McFly is mostly played by Jeffrey, Jeffrey Weissman. Yes, who accidentally got everybody sued. <laughs> Did he? It was, Tell it me was, about that, because I don't know the, about that. Yeah, the reason Weissman is there is because you can get two different stories. One is Crispin Glover's story that he had spoken out against the ending of Back to the Future, and they didn't want him back. If you get producer Bob Gale's version, it's that he was wanting more money than Michael J. Fox, which was ridiculous. Um, but what they ended up doing was using his his makeup mold. And later down the road, he actually, Crispin Glover actually called Jeffrey Weissman and Accidentally, Weissman was answering questions that ended up implicating that they had stolen his uh, Chris McGlover's image. And so Chris McGlover actually had a successful lawsuit that changed likeness rights within Hollywood as far as what can and cannot be used. Is that now is is that when they uh, have the footage 
1955, and they show Chris. That and when they show, I mean, they, the makeup is what really got it because they used his molds and they were able to create his face on another actor without giving him any uh, any sort of money, no funding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it says uh, according to. Uh Wikipedia, rather than write George McFly out of the films, the makers used previously filmed footage of Glover from the first film, film as well as new footage of actor, actor Jeffrey Weissman, who wore prosthetics, including a full chin to resemble various techniques to obfuscate Weissman footage, such as placing him in the background rather than the foreground, having him wear sunglasses, and hanging him upside down. Glover filed a lawsuit accuses on the ground that they either owned his likeness nor had as a result of this suit. There are now clauses in the Screen Actor Guild collective bargaining agreements which state that producers and actors are not allowed to use such methods to likeness. No, but that, just the way that's written, and it could be just poorly written, but it's, it, it sounds to me like, okay, you can't use those methods, but if you come up with something else, you can. Yeah, essentially, yeah. I mean, the, the CGI wasn't really prevalent when that was written, so... You can see Lawrence Olivier in Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, they can de-age Carrie Fisher after she's passed away in Rogue One. And uh, Grand Moff Tarkin, uh, Peter Cushing. There are loopholes now. So. Well, there is there is a movie apparently in production now that is going to have James Dean in a starring role. And apparently it was done with the rights being purchased from James Dean's family. Now, James Dean, I do not believe, had any children, so these people may be second or third cousins, all I know. Yeah, just looking to cash in, who knows? You know, I, I, on the one hand, I don't think it's... I think it's kind of cool that they could do that. On the other hand, if they don't do it well, it's kind of a black his legacy. Yeah. So I, I, I guess I guess as far as I'm concerned, the uh, jury is out uh, based on the quality. You know, it's, it's kind of the same thing. You know, some purists have some very strong feelings about, you know, things. And I remember one time it came up with colorization. And my argument, which is not, not uh, perceived very well by the purists, was, well, if it's a movie that isn't really using shadow to create a mood and... It's in black and white because they really didn't have the technology or the budget to make it in color, and they do it well, then I don't have a problem with it. Uh, and that discussion happened when while watching a colorized version of It's a Wonderful, uh-huh. which I don't think was very well colorized. It was very, pa- very like, pastel and kind of, like, uh, drained. Uh, but if it had been done well, I didn't really have a problem with them colorizing because, again, I don't think that uh, it's a movie that was using shadows to create any kind of movie. But, again... Purists did not like. So, but back to the movie at hand. Uh, so this one, just I'm not going to read the plot. I'm, I'm assuming people have seen this. Uh, you know, it picks up pretty much exactly where Back to the Leaves Off. Uh, Marty and, and Doc Brown travel in the future to try and fix a problem, and it was very the problem with plot. But that ends up with Biff getting a hold of gambling almanac, going back to '55, giving it to his younger self, who then becomes rich and changes the future. And Marty has to go back to that. And we end up with successfully done that, but Doc Brown ended up in, is it 1850? Yes. In no, 1889. Old, I'm sorry. 1889 in the old way. And that's the, Marty's got to go back in time to that time to rescue. What do you think of the story plot, just in general, just purely from an entertainment? From an entertainment point of view, yeah, it's fun. Um, it stretches out a little bit more than you would expect, but which is why we got two movies instead of one, because essentially what you're looking at is Act One being the first half of this movie. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, it's I can still sit back and enjoy it. It's not quite as proficient as the first one, but 
it definitely has very fun moments. It, it doesn't take itself seriously. It's significantly darker than the yes. main tone because they're, they're showing, uh, you know, Hill, Hill Valley just, you know, as a slum, basically. Uh, to have, you know, Biff kills George McFly in, in the alternate reality that he created. He's trying to kill Marty. Uh, is Lord knows what he's done to Lorraine because she seems like she's drunk all the time. Uh, she's had augmentation. Uh <laughs> You know, it, it's there's definitely some some darker elements to this movie than we found. The first one is a little bit more innocent and pure-hearted, even though we're dealing with uh, you know some some Freudian-type relationships in that one. Well, I think the first one downplays a few things because Lorraine drank in in the first one, and the, there are these fan theories out there that perhaps Biff did have his way with her in the original time frame. Um, there are some dark hints that they don't really let sit on the table quite as much as they do in this one, which kind of just gives a little bit more credibility to how deftly written the first one is how it's mm-hmm. kind of just this gem but we've already we've already well lifted that one up right in praise i like one of the things i like about this one is just kind of the way things get almost mirrored a little bit uh and and that would be you know scenes kind of recreated from the first one uh elements in scenes recreated and even the beginning to the end, you know, it starts with basically at the end of Back to the Future, mm-hmm. but Doc Brown coming back to seek Marty's help. It ends at the end of Back to the Future with Marty going to Doc Brown seeking his help. Ah, I had not thought of it that way. That's absolutely correct, though. So I, I just kind of like, you know, it, it, it's more or less we go through all of this and we end up exactly where we started, time-wise, which mm-hmm. I think is just a very, very clever. Well, this one has way more time travel than the other two combined. The other two are pretty much straightforward trips to the past and then home again. This one we have to 2015, um, alternate 1985, 1955 again. So it, it, it bounced quite a bit. Yes. Uh, one of the things I would say I could have definitely done without was Michael J. Fox playing daughter of Michael J. Fox. Eh. I didn't find was, that as amusing as I think it was meant to be. Yeah, I mean, it, was, it, it wasn't overdone either, though. No, they didn't, they, they didn't push it. I don't know. There was something about it that just felt creepy. Now, just also, uh, so Marty is 17 years old. Yes. And he's traveling 30 years in the future to see himself as 47 years old. And it really disturbed me now when he says, oh, good, I'm going to get to see myself as an old man. (laughs) Why would that disturb you, Paul? Considering that old man is a fair bit younger than me. Mm. Uh, I don't know if it's more disturbing that he says that or if it's more disturbing that when I was in my 20s and I saw this, that didn't even register. Yeah. It, I mean, I was 12 when I saw it, so it didn't bother me at all. I did think of 47 as old. Oh, I'm thinking when you're 12, you're definitely as old. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it never really stood out until you just said it. <laughs> yeah. I'm At 42, I'm like, hey, whoa, slow, slow your roll, Marty. Yeah, really? It's an old man. Is you're it, not even middle-aged. Can't even say, can't say an older man or something, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Not even certainly not a senior citizen. No. Uh, are there are there any plot elements in found particularly interesting? The, yeah, I mean, you mentioned that the the the, the first act is really kind of perfunctory, going to 2015, um, and they did play it for jokes like Cafe 80s, which is hilarious. Still, still holds up. Um, the hoverboard was the big thing that came out of this movie. We all wanted those. I don't care how old you were. And Zemeckis jokingly said, oh, they were real toys. They were just rejected for safety. So I spent years hoping that one day I'm going to find one of these off market. Still want my hoverboard. Well, the closest thing they've come up with are those, uh, they call, they say they're hoverboard, they're not. They have wheels. Yeah. 
Well, they have a version that called. does that does float, but I mean, it, it's not quite as versatile as these. But of course, you don't get in the same kind of accidents you see in this movie. And yet, the second lawsuit of this film, you can actually see a stunt go wrong if you look closely enough. Um, when the three teenagers go across the pond into the what is now the mall, used to be the courthouse. Mm-hmm. The way they did it, they actually had them on a big crane and they would swing them back and then forward. Um, it wasn't lined up well. So if you look closely, you watch the blonde girl and just one quick shot actually hit the side, the actual post outside and fall straight down. That is real. That is 100 percent real. They kept it in the movie uh, because the stunt was not coordinated correctly. It did cost the studio again more more money. OK, I was unaware of that. Once you once you've seen it, you'll not unsee it. You can't look away. It's like the uh, stormtrooper hitting his head. Yeah, exactly like that. Um, I love, I mean, the, the best part of this movie for me is the second half when they're back in 1955 again. I mean, mm-hmm. definitely, and that was kind of the drawing point for Robert Zemeckis, because Robert Zemeckis and, and Bob Yell really didn't want to do a sequel, but Universal was saying, we're going to do it with or without you, so you might as well get on board. Um, and they, you know, it was not something they found exciting, but until the element of being able to go back into the first movie came around, then it became interesting. Yeah, it definitely, and and we've got like kind of three layers there because we have the people who are normally in 1955, we have Back to the Future Marty McFly, and we have Back to the Future Part Two Marty McFly, all kind of interacting in different ways, uh, and then you top that with 1955 Doc Brown and 1985 Doc Brown in a conversation, <laughs> which they actually accidentally set up in the first movie. If you go back and watch the first movie, there's a there's a person that actually rides away on a bike. Just as the scene starts, dressed just like Doc is in the in the second one. Now I, I don't think I could give them credit for having planned that out. They didn't. There was but no. Give, but I give them for credit the for seeing it and deciding, hey, let's make you. Yeah, they had no intention to make a sequel. This was a one-off. Um, the, the whole to be continued at the end that everybody's familiar with wasn't in the original theatrical run. And, and even Zemeckis is like, if we were going to make a sequel, we would not have put Jennifer in the car. The last part was just meant to be a joke. No, I think we're right about place of uh, Claudia Wells. Like I, I think I, I think I've said already, I found at least at that age, and I don't know how they in the thirty some thirty years since, but uh, I found Claudia Wells to be somewhat more attractive. Uh, and I found, you know, like it, I I didn't care for the replacement. I don't think I noticed it until I saw it on video because it was just she was she didn't have a relevant part really. No, they were able to just knock her out and yeah. Leave. I will say, I mean, if you're looking at Attractiveness. Elizabeth Shue has aged extremely well. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing. Thirty years later, it may be to- totally in 1989 or 1985. It does, you know, the comment is that she didn't go in. She wasn't in this film. Because, open quotations. Personal reason. Well, her so, her her mother was sick. That's a pretty yeah. Okay, and that's certainly understandable. You know, when when you hear personal reason, you know, physical, mental, addictional problems, you know, you don't know what that. Is. So her mother being sick, something that you would have sympathy. Well, you kind of hit on something I wanted to talk about. Um, the makeup for aging the actors, now that we are literally 30 years past Back to the Future Part 2, it's amazing how they both they, – they, they hit the mark in some cases and missed it in others. Like Thomas F. Wilson's Biff, he actually grew into that. He looks just like the older Biff. But mm-hmm. you look at Leah Thompson, and she looks fantastic in, in the 21st century. Michael J. Fox, despite his Parkinson's, still looks pretty, you know, pretty spry. Most people aged better than they expected them to, thankfully. Poor Thomas. Yeah, looks just like, I mean. <laughs> I hope he doesn't win those. No, no. He's supposed to be one of the nicest guys in Hollywood. That's what Very, I've heard. 
yeah, very opposite of Biff, but man, does he look, I, I don't think I could look away without expecting him to hear butthead or make like a tree and get at it. Yeah. <laughs> we have, uh, and the music is, uh, well, you know what? I've said this before and had you prove me wrong. Uh, when I hear the soundtrack, I just pretty much think of the same as Back to the Future. Is am I wrong? Nope, still Alan Silvestri. And I mean, is it effectively the same, or is there any significantly there, different music? Here and there, there will be some tweaks, uh, particularly in the in the 2015 part. Back to the Future Three is a real diversion, though. Yeah, so well, this then, one's still pretty much a continuation with a few few little notes here and there. And when you know when they hit on something that becomes so readily identifiable and easily uh, associated with a movie and a, and a movie of high quality, like the Back to the Future, I think they're foolish when they do more than two. Yeah. Because, you, you know, you, you have you have something now that's going to give the audience an immediate comfort level and something where you play it and create an atmosphere immediately. So why why would you mess with it, you know? Well, that's kind of why Star Wars works so well with John Williams. He will add character themes into it but he integrates it with the original palette and that makes a huge difference mm-hmm. i agree and in this they kind of did that as well and like you said there were some tweaks but the tweaks seem to be pretty much organic because you're doing it at a you know in scene at scenes when the focus is changing you're going to the you're trying to show a dark something you didn't really do in the first. yeah so now you you know you you want to expand on what you have so this movie cost Forty million take, which by 1989 standards, I would say would make it probably about average for a uh, movie with some special effects. I don't Maybe think that's a particularly yeah. big budget. Yeah, if it's if it's 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 if it's bigger, it's marginally bigger than a normal budget. And the worldwide budget, I assume, from box office mode, 332. Million. Yep, for so 1989. Yeah, look at 1989. When you think about the movies of 89, you had Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Tim Burton's Batman. Lethal Weapon 2. Uh, Lethal Weapon 2, um, uh, Ghostbusters 2. You had some solid movies come out. And this movie coming out at the end of the year, by the way, still managed to make the top, I believe the top five grossing movies of that year. With solid, solid performances from a lot of different movies. So it's it's still, you still got gas in the old tank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I'm sure made the producers very comfortable with the fact that they had already filmed Back to the Future Part 3. Because if this had been a bomb, I think, you know, a lot of people would have been out of a job at that. Oh, yeah. Just take... Uh, it was, it, well, I just confirmed it was in the top five. Top five of 1989, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade was number one. Uh, apparently, Field of Dreams was number two, which I did not realize. Batman was number three. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure was four. And Back to the Future Part 2 was number five. I saw all... <laughs> They, they all the got my show. money. Yeah. I saw Batman, Indiana Jones, I believe. I don't think I saw Bill and Ted, but Back to the Future Part 2 I did. So it feels like I've watched Back to the Future, or uh, Bill and Ted in, on video. That was that was at a time when my movie going was probably at a peak. I was in school, and I had a decent amount of free time, but I was working, so I had a decent amount of cash. And I'm a movie fan, so I had the combination of the money to go to the movie, the free time to go see the movie. And I was in school and off on Fridays. So there were were a lot of Friday afternoons. This is where the – this was kind of my ramp up because, again, I was 12. I was just old enough to be dropped off at the movies alone. Um, And it was was where I started seeing a lot more films because I know 89 I saw maybe a handful, including this one. But by 1990, 91, I started getting more movies under my belt. 
Mm-hmm. Makes a big difference. Yeah, I mean, the, the more you're exposed to. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I, I just wanted to touch a little on what they predicted. The <laughs> so flying cars, that's not good. No. <laughs> uh, Cubs winning the World Series, they came pretty close. They were a year off. That was yeah. amazing. And it's the only time in my life I've ever rooted for the Cubs. Well, I was. <laughs> I don't care about Back to the Future enough to root against my team. But the Cubs won it in 2016 instead. Not so yep. bad. Plus, they didn't, they weren't playing against the, the uh, Florida Marlins. They can't because they Yeah. But that's besides it. Well, so that, what, that was also a prediction. There wasn't a Florida team at the time the movie was made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he, he even, like, expresses surprise as a Florida. But it wasn't that far off. I think the Marlins... It was so, the same time as the Rockies, so 92 would be right. You know, it was only a couple of years old. It might have actually been... They, they might have actually had some inside knowledge was planning. What, what are the predictions? Was the self-drying and fit-sizing or size-fitting changes on the jacket? We don't have that. Uh, kids don't wear their pockets inside out, but they have just as stupid kind of things to do. <laughs> Get off my lawn is what you're saying. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think what other predictions they had. Well, oh, the, one thing I thought of when they did it was that when uh, they, they didn't they didn't actually get it on the money, but they, they were close when they talked about the dust jacket. And they say, oh, that's when the when the books were, you know, they they said something like they printed it on dust repellent paper or something like yeah. that. Now, so <laughs> it's not quite right. But I I thought, well, it's like it's almost like they're pre- predicting that books are going to go, you know, that material book. Yeah, go into Kindle and other options digitally. Uh, Jaws 19, of course, didn't happen. Jermaine did this show. Yeah. Thankfully, we're still Jaws: The Revenge was still the last installment. Yeah, thankfully. Well, but now I need a Jaws five. <laughs> Do you, though? I mean, what, giving what Jaws 5 represents? No, I don't really. <laughs> um, well, you actually, you know, when you go to that's the, the the old shop, the antique store, the things that you're seeing in there, you may actually see in an antique store. You may find the Roger Rabbit video game. You may find a Roger Rabbit doll. Dead serious. A lot of that stuff we thought was never going to become antiques. Go, go to your local flea market. See what you mm-hmm. find. Oh, yeah. No, I agree with that. I'm trying to think of any other things just coming up blank on you know the hoverboards. They did, they do have the uh, you know they don't actually float in the air, but they do those self-propelled skateboard things. Yeah, and you can watch Mike Tyson fall over on one. Yeah. <laughs> it never gets I can, old. <laughs> I could enjoy that. Uh, I was trying to think if there was any. Um, actually, I'm trying to think of the destination. Oh, uh, Vietnam. It actually mentions taking vacations to Vietnam, which has become a thing. Because it's in when they're in the alley. If you look back, Vietnam, there's a big sign about visiting Vietnam, which wouldn't have been all that possible in '89. Um, and speaking of that alley, if you look, you'll see a ton of their laser discs, just kind of bailed and and putting put off to the side. So they predicted the end of laser discs. Maybe even I mean you could take that as the end of physical media. They they kind of predict uh, screensavers. Yep. Well, the multiple screens, yeah, that you can you can go through these flat screens for one thing that you can watch multiple things at once. Uh, so yeah, I mean, they actually but also nailed that. They have the, the outside scenery on the window, which is kind mm-hmm. of a screensaver. Yep. You also have video calling. So FaceTime was predicted. Mm-hmm. McFry! <laughs> You're fired! I have to say, you know what, just as, as we're kind of going through this in my mind, that's one of the things that I don't particularly care for. Sequels, one of the plot contrivance, the you can't call me chicken Yes. I feel like that they, they could have come up with a better way to do that. Well, that's a response to the criticisms of the first movie in that many people feel that Marty didn't learn anything, that he wasn't a character that grew throughout that. 
which I, I kind of mentioned in the last one and kind of, you know, gave a little bit of a retort, but this was to give him a flaw and it, it did feel, it felt wedged in. Out yeah, of it, it feels a little forced, exactly. I'm not, I'm not saying that you couldn't do something along those lines, but they made it like, uh, well, we all know he can't stand if somebody cooks him chicken. You know, it's, it's just like yeah. too over the top. Yeah, it, it was cartoony. I mean, it was it was definitely wedged in and forced. Even at twelve, I felt that way. So <laughs> that's that's and that's a minor nitpicky type criticism. I it, I think it did feel. I can't say it particularly me. No, this one. I mean, it was hard to take this one as seriously as the first one because it was it was more of a media machine. You had media tie-ins with Pizza Hut. You had um, hoverboard skateboards at Toys R Us. You you had a merchandising train behind it as well. Mm-hmm. So. It, it, it was more of a popcorn movie than the first one. The first one was a surprise hit at the level it was it hit. You know, people expected it to be a pretty successful movie, but not on the level that it was. Yeah, and, then, and I always come back to, boy, it would have been a different movie with Eric Stoltz. I don't yeah. think it would have been the hit it was. No, not at all. I can genuinely say, and, I, and I've, I've actually spent a lot of time this week thinking about it, like, no, you don't get that kind of timing. And Eric Stoltz saw the movie as a tragedy. Because Marty comes back to a life he doesn't know. That outlook kind of says volumes about why Eric Stoltz did not work out. Yeah, I think so. But, you know, that's rehashing the first one. Because by now, yeah. Michael J. Fox is firmly entrenched. At this point now, he's basically a star. No, he's, uh, he's, he did Bright Lights Big City after this, um, after the first one. Uh, Teen Wolf t- came out during that time. But, yeah, he's marketable at this point. Filmography. Teen Wolf, Light of Day, Secret of My Success... Bright Lights, Big City, Casualty War, all in between oh, Back to the Future and Back to the Future 2. He was a little whiny in Casualty. Yeah. Well, interesting fact about this movie, when he went back to start doing some of the skateboarding, he realized some of his muscle memory wasn't coming back in the way it should. So it was during filming of Back to the Future Part 2 that he began to realize what would he, he would come to find is Parkinson's disease. Hmm. And I, I mentioned that not to bring everybody down, but definitely, you know, if you get a chance... Um, but look up the Michael J. Fox Foundation. They are doing research to try to treat and, and possibly potentially cure Parkinson's. Um, just take a minute out of your time. Look it up. If you're moved to donate or what have you, by all means, no pressure. No, nope, none at all, but certainly good cause. Yep. Just figure since we were discussing it, I, that, that was not planned, but MichaelJFox.org is where you can find that. Okay, so anything else to hit on before we rate this? Um. Like I said, I love the second half of this movie where they're moving around in the original movie, expanding on things. I think that is what I don't I wouldn't say it saves the movie, but it elevates the movie from something that would have been a mediocre sequel. I think the first part of the movie effectively presents a new scenario created after the first one. And I, I think there is an element that they work together well. If it had been all one or all the other don't think it would have been as good of a movie as it is because if they just spent it in 1955 i think it would have felt a little bit too much like okay we're just going to redo what we've done already uh so going to 2015 eliminates some of that feeling but then 2015 it isn't as creative and it isn't as dark or it, it is much more so by going to back to 1955, you're adding a creativity mesh through times together. Uh, that's my very hamsted way of saying I think the movie is better for having. Yeah, 
I'll agree completely. I think eliminating either one would make it. Well, and I think you're right that it does kind of ride the wave that you have a slightly lighter first part leading into a darker section and then redeeming itself by coming back to kind of the the vibe of the first movie without being the first movie. And of course, so, there's always that theory that during during the, the Bat 55 part that there are at least three DeLoreans that you can think of, the one from 85 uh, Marty, one from 2015 Marty, and then the one that Doc left in the mine. So... <laughs> and and the, the one that Biff took back? Yes. So for a brief period, there's four. That's what I was trying to think of. Theoretically. Mm-hmm. If you're thinking fourth dimensionally. And then, and that's the element of time travel that starts to make my head hurt. <laughs> <laughs> well, I told you last time when I was here about my pitch for a story, so I've not gotten a call from IDW yet. I can't believe that they haven't. <laughs> they don't know what that, they're missing. That'd make Paul's head hurt. Again. <laughs> so all of that said, where does this fall on the scale? Um, a firm Jaws 2, a very middle Jaws 2. It has some weaknesses where it doesn't quite keep up with its predecessor, but all in all, this is still an, it's a joy to watch. Yeah, I pretty much am in total agreement. I think it's, it's to me, it's kind of, uh, you know, right in the definition of it. It's, it's, it's not a classic, it's not a perfect movie, but it has really the elements you want to see. You know, in, in a movie, it's got rewatchability, it's got just some some really good scenes in it. It's just not a perfect all-time class. It's, it's only as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> uh, unless, of course, you are in that group that is going to be bothered by the fact that it's not a complete tale itself. But if that's your only hesitancy on it, then I would just say do it when you have enough time and watch the entire trilogy. Yep. Then you have a complete story. Well, that's the difference is, I mean, now you just put in the next disc. At that point, there was, I mean, it was a short wait because I believe the second one came out in March of, of 1990. So you only had a few months, but it was still left you hanging. And I thought that was a better element to this movie, that not only did it leave on a cliffhanger, it gave you the preview for the next one at the same time. Yeah, oh yeah that's something I, I wanted to talk about, too, is I remember being shocked that they actually had basically the coming attraction for the <laughs> next one in this, you know, at the end of this movie. And I was happily... I was happy that when they came out the home video version that they, you know, that that was still there mm -hmm. because I was concerned that they might. Ruin. No, I know for definitely on the Blu-ray release from not the most recent one in 2015, but prior to that, that Zemeckis wanted to be exactly what was in the theater. So you do not see to be continued and you actually have the trailer for Back to the Future, which is it's good for nostalgia. Mm -hmm. And, you, you know, you know, at the end of this, that you're going to see a third movie that is absolutely not a rehash of the first two. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that was, I think that was a good marketing element to it because we had two, you know, we had one, we had two, we've hit these things and you're running the risk. If you just, you know, if you're going to still be in 1955 or 1985 or even 2015 again, that people are going to start feeling like, okay, I've had enough of it. But, you know, bringing you to, 1879, 1875. No. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, it's it's putting you in a situation. Where, or 1885. Now, yeah, now I've got myself just. I'm, I'm, go ahead and vamp. I'm gonna look. <laughs> <laughs> but well, just bringing yourself into the old west. Uh, I, I th 1885. Yep. I, th I think you know you're saying to you're saying to the audience right off the bat, come on back for back to the three. You're gonna see these characters that you love. But you're going to see him in a very different way, and and I and I think one of the biggest key keys to that is in that whole coming attraction, the scene when Doc Brown has the has the rifle and he's like, "Make one move, Tanner," <laughs> like you know you, you you know you're seeing something different in the next. Movie. Yes, 
And I was, I think I was right at the target market at 12 years old where it was like, yes, I, you have my attention and my parents' money. (laughs) (laughs) We will return and do Back to the Future at some later date, but I'm not sure what our next venture together will be. Thanks for coming on, Dave. Well, thanks for having me as usual. Thanks for being available. And uh, everybody, thanks for listening, and we'll be back. Yep. Go ahead, kid. Jump. The suicide will be nice and neat. What if I don't? Lead poisoning. What about the police, Biff? They're going to match up the bullet with that gun. Kid, I own the police. Besides... They couldn't match up the bullet that killed your old man! You son of a... I suppose it's poetic justice. Two McFlies with the same gun! I don't believe it!